and it's my privilege to read this scripture of the morning. Matt is going to be preaching from Revelations 2, 8 through 11, and Revelation 6 this morning. So listen to God's word as I read the scriptures aloud to us as we prepare our hearts and our minds to receive this teaching of God's word. Revelation 2, 8 through 11. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And Revelation 6. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that was being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves 
and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall in us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thanks, Kim. Who's encouraged? (laughs) And yet, that is actually the purpose of the text. When I was in college and didn't yet know that God was calling me into ministry, I just wanted to understand the Bible better, I used to listen to this old-school Baptist preacher, Dallas Theological Seminary, very, very clear, very authoritative teaching. I listened to a series on Galatians more than once, all the way through, on tape, dating myself. I listened to a series on church history. He did topical series. He did a series on Romans, and I would listen to them over and over, longing to understand the promises of God. And I bought his series on Revelation. Remember those tape packs that came with big plastic? We probably need to bring those back. It's probably time. And I pop in the Revelation sermon, and he says, the seven churches are seven periods of time throughout the history of the church, and I push stop, and I never listened to him again because that's an imposition on the text. That is not how John wrote the book. Can you imagine being a Smyrnan Christian and finding out your church doesn't actually matter even though you're, you're probably gonna die because you called Jesus Lord as their bishop, Polycarp did, probably around the time of this letter. But you don't matter because this book is actually a secret code book. God does not do that. And yet, for those of you that interpret the scriptures this way, our conclusions will be the same about the purpose of the seals being broken in chapter six. So be encouraged. If you disagree with me, we're still gonna all be happy that Jesus wins. Regardless of how the millennium comes to be, we're happy that Jesus is going to reign. And the reason that I don't like that interpretation of Revelation is, I don't believe the the text itself invites us to read it that way. It's also because what happens is we miss out on the encouragement. John fully expected hearing Revelation 6 to encourage you, which means I kind of have my work cut out for me because it's not obvious to us, right, how chapter 6 is going to encourage us, and yet it's supposed to. So what's a synagogue of Satan? That's an interesting phrase. I believe a synagogue of Satan is anywhere where people say they worship God and then with their actions harm one another. In the, in the time that Revelation was, uh, that, G, that John saw a vision that Jesus gave him and then wrote the text with all these Old Testament allusions, both because the visions are so similar to the Old Testament visions and to help people integrate their understanding of the scriptures with the vision that Jesus gave to John, during that time it was illegal to not worship Caesar. And in some cities, the Jews and the Christians, which, are, which is an overlapping group at the time, had made it so that they were uh, okay. They had gotten a pass by either taking good care of their neighbors or because so many other things were going on. But sometimes Jews were persecuting Christians. This is not all the Jews in Smyrna, but some of them were persecuting Christians. And Jesus says, that is not of God. And when we see it today, it is not of God. When we see anyone in the name of God or Jesus harm another human from any tongue, tribe, and nation, that is not of God and of Jesus. 
So we good on synagogue of Satan? Okay. And then he tells them to be faithful unto death. And in many respects, this is the answer that Revelation will ask. Revelation will ask and answer the question over and over throughout. What does it mean to conquer? What does it mean to be a Christian in a world so beset on so many sides by evil? Both man-made evil, evil that seems happenstance, and even the evil we cause ourselves, right? There are a lot of kinds of suffering. We've probably all suffered because of mistakes we made. We've probably all suffered for reasons that will appear random to us. We've probably all suffered because someone has harmed us. And the book of Revelation is to encourage us, among other things, to continue to be faithful. In many ways, that is the answer and the point of the book there in the letter to the Smyrnan Christians. And did you catch in verse 10 the, word, do not, the phrase, do not fear? Eugene Peterson, the author of The Message, which is a translation of the whole Bible, many other delightful books, says there's nothing new in the Revelation. And the reason he says that is the images are found in other visions God gave to people, and the message is one that's preached in other ways. Do you remember when the disciples were so nervous because there was a storm and Jesus was asleep and he wakes up and what does he say? Do not fear. And man, when pastors use a text like this to say, see, you're not supposed to fear, it makes me really mad. Because Jesus didn't say you're not supposed to fear. He said, do not fear, and there's a subtle difference there. Here's what it is. Your fears are legitimate. Most of them, anyway. I'm sure there's an illegitimate one. Most of them are legitimate. And the gospel speaks to them. The Smyrnan Christians were afraid that they were going to be locked up and perhaps die. That's a legitimate fear. And the gospel of Jesus speaks peace to it. Remembering and knowing and being gripped by the fact that God loves us and that Jesus' work has ransomed us and that we are to be a kingdom of priests, that's from all over Revelation, what we sang this morning. That is good news that we speak to our hearts and sing with friends and it speaks peace. There are a lot of statements throughout the scripture about how the gospel speaks peace to our fear and this is one of them and part of what Eugene Peterson was getting at when he said there is nothing new in the revelation. So the Smyrna Christians are to persevere and if you catch in chapter two he mentions the tribulation and did you catch in chapter one that John says he's their friend in the tribulation in chapter one verse nine. Christians use the word tribulation at least in two ways and one is as shorthand for all those kinds of suffering that I talked about, right? So self-imposed suffering, others caused it, circumstantial, trials and tribulations of life. And that, that might be okay shorthand. It might sound trite to you. The other is to talk about the tribulation. And the tribulation is one way of understanding the revelation that there will be a separate time. And I don't think that's true. But for those of you that do interpret the book that way, our conclusions about why in the end are the same. But I believe it is lazy to read the book of Revelation and believe its sequencing from chapter 1 to 22 is a sequence of time. I believe John uninvites us from reading it that way by saying your partner in the tribulation and the tribulations that are to come and in many other ways throughout the chapters. As an example, Satan falls multiple times like from heaven to earth. I believe that's John helping us see that this vision transcends time. If you disagree with me, it's okay because our conclusions will be the same. 
And do you see the encouragement to perseverance throughout the scriptures? When Jesus talked about the end times with a parable, he was telling a story. And what was the point of the story? Be prepared. The ten women with their oil who wanted to get married, and some of them were prepared and others were not. What was the point? Persevere. Don't wait to be generous. Don't wait to follow Jesus with your words and with your decisions. When Peter, especially in his second letter, talks about the end times, what is his purpose? It's to encourage the followers of Jesus to persevere, to remain faithful in worshiping God, to remain faithful to the people that they're called into relationship with, to act as Christianly as possible within our limits with the neighbors that God has put into our life. Remain faithful to those things. When Paul talks about it, especially in uh, the letter to the Thessalonians, perhaps the most number of words for one letter where he talks about the end times, what's his point? You're children of light. Persevere. So I'm pretty excited because you're going to see someone later today or maybe on Tuesday or Wednesday who is kind of a church person and, and they're not sure about Revelation, but you're confident that you can summarize it because... I'm going to give you a phrase, and you're going to agree with it because it's a great summary. And you're going to say, so we're going over Revelation. And I understand it. And then you're just going to sip your coffee and see what they say. And maybe they're going to leave because they don't want to talk about the Jesus things. Hopefully not, though. And you're going to say the book of Revelation is this. And this is a quote from Marva Don, a theology professor at Regent in Vancouver. Jesus is king. Satan thinks he is. Hang in there. If you read the book of Revelation, and you allow yourself to hear it the way John, the way that Jesus presented it to John, which is outside of time. Doesn't mean it doesn't have an effect in time, but outside of time, the way John writes it, this message grips us, and we learn to trust it, and we're actually encouraged. We can actually look at chapter six and be encouraged by either what is already happening, my interpretation, or some of the other interpretations. Here, Jesus saying to the Smyrnan church, and the reason it's to seven churches is so that by extension it encourages us, hear him saying, hang in there. Many of you have been trusting Jesus for a long time. Hang in there. Continue to worship Continue to love the community he's put into your life to worship him with. Continue to love the neighbors he's put in your life, as challenging as they are. The Smyrnan Christians and us, by extension, are to persevere as the seals break. As you were reading that, uh, as Kim was reading the text, did you think, I've heard that before? You remember where you've heard that before? Perhaps because you read the Bible a lot, but perhaps because you remember in Ghostbusters when uh, Ernie Hudson says to Dan Aykroyd, Ray, do you believe in God? Never met him, Ray says. Well, I do, and I love Jesus' style. And then Dan Aykroyd begins to quote the Revelation. He says, I remember Revelation 7.12. It's actually Revelation 6.12, but it's New York City in the 80s. There probably weren't any Bibles anywhere. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know why they got it wrong. But he quotes it there. There probably was. It was just underground at the time. But he quotes it correctly. I remember the sun is black as sackcloth and the moon turns into blood. And then Ernie Hudson takes over and the seas boiled and the skies fell 
Dan Aykroyd goes, well, every myth has its religion, or it's every religion has its myth about the end of the world. And then Ernie Hudson goes, but don't you think the reason we're getting so much business these days is because the dead are rising from the grave? And Dan Aykroyd says what any of us would say, let's turn on some music. <laughs> so that's where you've heard that before. And I don't know how good of a job I did representing it. Pretty good with movie lines. Dating myself, obviously. And they, they interpret it correctly in the sense that this is at least a perspective on Judgment Day. And you notice how the seals overlap as they break. The first one and the second one have to do with war. The third one and the fourth one have to do with famine and then famine and pestilence. I know that when you heard the Pale Rider, you pictured Clint Eastwood. Perhaps the Pale Rider will look like Clint Eastwood. You need to recognize that these overlap quite a bit with Isaiah 2 and Joel 2 and with the book of Zechariah. And the reason I remind you of that is sometimes these images can, if we're not thinking about the scriptures, we hear these images and they kind of blow our mind a little bit and we don't know how to interpret them. And the best way to understand the images that Jesus gave to John is through the images that John realized they were very, very similar to throughout the Old Testament. War and war and famine and famine and pestilence and then they take a break to talk about those that have died by saying Jesus is Lord and then they come back and there's an earthquake and an eclipse I think Revelation 4 and 5 which we talked about last week if you want to go back and listen we have all that on our website Revelation 4 and 5 is interesting and we know the point of it which is the worship of God but it's interesting in how hard it is to picture and I think Revelation 6 scares us because we can so easily picture it. We can easily picture war and famine. By the way, if you wonder what the oil and the water are about, it's in the image that John sees, the rich are able to continue having some of their things even while there's famine. That's the save the oil section of that. As John saw it, wealthy people were able to, to avoid some of the effects of the famine. One of my... Um, resources in this in talking about this said perhaps this is about the future or it's an average day in human history we have an answer in many respects to the point of this in chapter 9 verse 20 and 21 that the breaking of the seals and the scroll by the way is God's plan to renew all things only the lamb can open it because he is God and also because he's the only one who's worthy by keeping the covenant as a man and living a sinless life. As he breaks the seals on the document explaining God's redemptive plan, these things happen. Chapter 9, verse 20 and 21 says, and they happened so that people would repent. So that through horrific things that happen throughout history, men and women will realize that God exists and they're not him. And if that bothers you, you're in good company. I don't love that. But in addition to the fact that that's the purpose of it, it's also an answer, it's beginning to answer the question that is raised in chapter 6, verse 16 that you heard Kim read. Who can stand? We have a little bit of an answer in chapter 2 to the Smyrna Christians, those that are following Jesus and that persevere. And we'll get another answer in chapter 7 next week as numerically of a confusing part of the scriptures, perhaps as, as there is. It'll all be clear after next week's sermon. In addition to the fact that these horrific things are to help men and women recognize that God exists, they're also an effect of Jesus coming to earth, 
speaking about the kingdom, dying, rising from the dead, and women and men don't repent. God came to earth as a human, and men and women didn't respond. Not all of them, some respond, and they're sealed. Just give you a little bit of a heads up for next week. Heaven exists, and in heaven, separated by the glassy sea, is God and the Lamb. And on earth, there's violence and evil and sickness because a holy God interacting with an evil world naturally produces catastrophe, naturally produces these horrific things because the creation itself is still groaning and longing to be renewed. And so in light of Jesus' return, his, or in light of Jesus' incarnation, and the fact that the world did not repent. These are the things that are happening and will continue to happen until he returns and makes all things new. Now, if you're a Smyrna Christian and it's in the 90s AD, you remember the big earthquake of 60 AD that demolished large portions of civilization. In 62 AD, you remember an army that mostly was good with their bows, the Parthians, and they won a decisive victory over the Romans, which no one thought was possible. You're a Smyrnan Christian, and you remember in 64 AD when there was a fire in Rome, and Nero blamed the Christians, and the Christians were persecuted strongly. You remember that in 70 AD there was a horrific four-year Jewish war that ended with Jerusalem sacked. You remember that Nero killed himself in 68 AD and the chaos that ensued all over the Roman Empire for four years. And you remember in 79 AD when a mountain literally flew into the sea, Vesuvius. So, a Smyrnan Christian listening to chapter 6 is thinking, this is what the world is like. And yet, as a follower of Christ, I can still stand amidst it. I can still receive freedom and release from the second death. I can hang in there because God's mercies are still existent. And his gospel still frees me, ultimately, from sin and from death. You might have noticed that only six of the seals have been broken. The reason is it is not completed yet. So it's listed as the seven seals and we only see six of them and it's inviting us, I believe again, to not see it as a sequence of time events the way that we see it. And the other question that we're asking is when, and don't forget, even as the images of Revelation grip us and encourage us, because that's actually what they're supposed to do that Jesus said it is not for you to know the times or the seasons. I do not believe Revelation is a code book that tells us when this is going to happen. I believe this is a book designed to encourage us. Because you've experienced the outcome in the world of these seals breaking. And you're to hang in there and remember who God is and that he sees and hears and has already ransomed you if you're a follower of Christ, has already freed you from the second death. And we too are waiting for him to renew all things. Christians are to persevere as the seals break and they wait. And our waiting isn't like theirs. Probably right around the time that this was written, Polycarp, who was Bishop of Smyrna, ended up in the arena with lions Not the scriptures, but history tells us that he heard a voice that said, play the man, Polycarp. 
and they offered a chance, because he was very old at the time, they offered him a chance to recant and say, no, Caesar is Lord, not Jesus. And he said, oh, I wish I could quote it. I'm gonna not quote it perfectly. He said, for 80 and five years, my Savior has not failed me. I will not fail him now. Our waiting isn't like theirs. If we were in China or Iraq, it would be. And yet, that doesn't mean that we are blessed in ways that Chinese Christians are not. Our waiting is more like the Sardis Christians or the Laodicean Christians. Because our freedoms are protected here religiously, that draws us into complacency. Right? And yet, the call is the same, and it is to wait I got an email last week from Harvey Moger who asked why Martin Luther didn't consider revelation in the canon. I didn't actually know that until Harvey emailed me. I knew he didn't like James. I also found out he didn't like Jude or Hebrews. Who doesn't like Hebrews? Growing up, I heard Hal Lindsey speak about uh, revelation or I kind of heard secondhand and I've heard televangelists utilize it for their nefarious huckster purposes. More recently, Tim LaHaye, and, and, and the reason that these interpretations, and perhaps the reason Martin Luther wasn't comfortable with it, is they didn't realize, and I don't know why. I don't know if it's the proliferation of information. I don't know if it's their cultural moment when the Catholic Church was a mess. But they missed that it's relevant today. This is designed to encourage you to persevere, to not wait to follow Jesus with your heart and decisions, and words, and stuff, and actions towards neighbor, Christian and non. John fully expected that when you hear the letter to the Smyrna Christians and the seals, you hear Jesus saying, do not fear, without any harshness or judgment, but with clarity and power. Isaiah said it, God said it to Isaiah this way, do not fear, For I am the Lord your God. Do not fear, I have called you by name. You are mine. Christians are simultaneously those that recognize evil and call it what it is, chapter six, and the most full of hope people because the gospel of Jesus and the Holy Spirit speak peace to our hearts amidst all of the seals breaking. Do not fear. For I am the Lord your God. Do not fear. I have called you by name. You are mine, God says to us in Isaiah 41. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, would you help us as we live in the tension of war and famine and a world crying out for renewal? Would you speak peace to our hearts? Would you remind us that we are yours because of the work of Christ? Holy Spirit, would you comfort and assure us in your love? Father in heaven, come alongside us as we praise you and indeed raise a hallelujah, not because the world isn't broken, but because it will not forever be this way. And in the meantime, we have your love and assurance. Amen.